welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Bowl, Director of Public Affairs. And today, B.J. Tanksley, our Director of State Legislative Programs, is joining us. Welcome, B.J. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, we talked last week with our President, Garrett Hawkins, about a lot of the things that are uh, on the plate at the Capitol. But there's been so much happening to get to that point, and uh, you've been right in the middle of it. We've been trying to get through the first half of session, and oh my gosh, there's just been a lot of, uh, I guess, interesting twists and turns along the way. So Yeah, I'd say so. We uh, we thought we'd maybe run through some of the stuff that's been leading up to the, the spring break, which we're in this week, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we are... This well, I guess today would technically be the first day of the legislative spring break, where the break, you know, is kind of held as the midway point for the legislative session. And as we took on last week, it really um, became clear that people were starting to see that kind of marker mm-hmm. of halfway through session, um, and wanted to see a lot of things get done. So we saw a really um, busy week. We saw several late nights um, in the Capitol and and really saw a lot of things moving. But I will say, just being in the Capitol, there were more people around. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of advocates moving a lot and and legislators really buckling down to see how much they could get done. Um, You know, it it shouldn't go – we shouldn't go into this without saying that last year, it was right about this time. I know everybody's talking about it, but it was right about this time where we started taking what we thought were going to be 10-day or two-week breaks from session – and then we lost six weeks of session. Yeah. And so I think that adds to the pressure, too, um, because last week or last year, everybody kind of thought, hey, I'm on pace to have a good session. We've got a lot of things moving. And then we lost a lot of time. And so I think people are looking at this session knowing if something were to happen, we've got to make sure we're well positioned to get it done yeah. within a short period of time. Yeah, people got really scared by that. <laughs> exactly. There's, uh, there's just so many things that it seems like at the beginning of session, everybody's positioning and they're, you know, trying to get their messaging bills in and and become seen as the champion of this or champion of that. And then once, I always refer to this as halftime. Mm-hmm. Um, That's it, right? <laughs> once, once it gets close to halftime and you hit the two-minute warning or so, they start to realize, oh, wait, we got to start doing stuff and uh, really moving things, you know. Yeah, and absolutely. So that's what seemed to happen last week. Yeah, for sure. You know, it started out early in the week in the Senate side um, where we started Monday afternoon, Monday evening with a, an extended debate relating to um, taxes and taxation. Um, and this this conversation started out related to property taxes, personal property taxes, mm-hmm. and um, slowly moving away from pers- taxing personal property, which sounds like a great idea. And Missouri Farm Bureau actually has policy with that says if you have a good alternate for it, we, we would favor uh, eliminating personal property taxes. Unfortunately, late into the night, um, that conversation quickly moved to um, switching from a personal property tax to a real property tax and, and offsetting those two in equal values until the personal property tax was completely eliminated, which sounds like a good idea, but a lot of our rural communities really rely on that personal property tax more so than our than our urban neighbors. And it was going to make some major, major impacts, especially in rural areas that were going to be hard to make up for. And it ended up being a, a really an interesting conversation to listen to as senators were debating on the floor. And it was one of the unique times where actually the, the merits of the measure were actually being talked about on the floor. Yeah. You know, it's not uncommon during a Senate extended debate for the floor 
floor conversation to really be about uh, Cardinals or Royals baseball and, and while while the other conversations are going on behind the scenes. But there really was a conversation of senators asking, how would this impact my county and what would it do to ours? And what we really saw was kind of a rural-urban divide start to emerge, oh, and not just urban, or, or not just that, but also people saying, how does it impact my communities? And, and it really came out of that, that although eliminating um, the personal property tax sounds like a great idea, if we don't have a measure to make up for that loss in revenue, um, we're really going to be cutting our, our local communities, our schools, and our counties short. Yeah. And as much as no one wants to be taxed, um, we have to fund those functions of yeah, government. It's got to come from somewhere. That's exactly right. Where, where were the – so what was the purpose behind it? Were they just looking at changing the way that the taxes are are, are allocated or – was it to pay for some project, or what, why was this being brought up in the first place, I guess? It was largely being brought up by the same people who were interested in it several years ago where there was an initiative petition to eliminate the personal property tax. Okay. And, and I'll be honest, it, it, I'm not sure that those who are interested in that are worried about offsetting the funds. They mm-hmm. think that the state and the locals have enough funding, and if needed, they could look to other areas. But that taxing things that you've already paid for is is not right. And, and I understand the frustration with that. Like I said, I think we all would like to get rid of that. But if you don't have some way to fund those functions in the meantime, uh, then we're just cutting ourselves short and, sure. and we'll, we'll all see the pain of that. And so it ended up being a long night. Um, the bill was uh, ultimately laid over. Um, I think it will. that conversation will probably continue into the future. The Senate Conservative Caucus is very interested in this concept. Um, but I, I think Missouri Farm Bureau, it's fair to say, is worried about what the impacts would be on rural counties. And especially when you start looking at eliminating personal property tax and funding that with a real property tax. And what does that mean for for rural people and, and agriculturalists across the state? I think you'll see that uh, there's going to be some concerns with what that balance ends up as. Yeah. And we want to make sure that um, all functions are government are, and that we're taxing people fairly. Mm-hmm. And so it ended up being a really uh, in a, a long night. Uh, I wasn't there for the entire thing, but it was a interesting conversation and, and definitely a way to set the tone for the week, which was in the Senate, they were going to talk about big issues and they were going to spend some long nights and long times talking about them. Um, it was, uh, we came back on Tuesday, those conversations were still kind of lingering. Um, and then we started talking about something that Farm Bureau has been talking about for a while, which was transportation funding. Yeah. You know, we've talked about it here, and I think you all probably did last week. This is something that the governor is interested in, the lieutenant governor. And Senator Dave Schatz has made it a priority to try to make a long-term funding option for transportation before he leaves the Senate in just a couple more years due to term limits. And so he said um, he brought it to the floor and worked with other sides to make sure that he had a path forward for it to try to get to a vote. Um, and ultimately brought a funding package that would increase transportation funding by two and a half cents through the fuel tax um, for five. It started out at six years and now it ended up at five years through compromise um, that would increase our fuel tax by 12 and a half cents. Um, but that fuel tax is actually refundable. Mm-hmm. So if a, if a general uh, taxpayer um, keeps track of the taxes they're paying and feels like they want those taxes back, they can actually ask for a refund uh, through the Department of Revenue. And so, so um, 
it's to some extent, it's a if you don't want to pay it, it's kind of an optional. Like you can choose whether or not you're in or out through the rebate options. And so I do think there's some real interest in moving this forward. We had long debate on it again. Now, this debate wasn't nearly as entertaining. Uh, there was some Cardinal baseball talk. There were some other things going on on the Senate floor um, while senators were working out the details behind the scene. But ultimately, uh, come Wednesday morning, they had a compromise and were able to actually get that done. So that's uh, something we're excited to see move forward. You know, this is... Um, it, this is, like I said, a priority of the Senate to try to address transportation funding. Uh, being 100 percent honest here, we haven't seen the same uh, movement yet in the House or the willingness to take up the issue. Um, we have some House members who are definitely interested in it, but I think it's really going to come down to House leadership and whether or not they're willing to take up this issue. Um, it wasn't uh, just a few years ago where we had an option for transportation funding and the House decided to go a different direction where they did some bonding options um, where we were able to secure um, some federal funding, uh, but it wasn't that long-term funding path um, that a, that a, that a, unfortunately no one wants to pay more. But our fuel tax hasn't been increased in going on 30 years now. We're paying 17 cents, which is the lowest. The only state that's lower than us is Alaska. And so when you really look at the metrics of it, we're not funding our transportation system in a fair manner to expect safe and reliable roads and bridges. And so this would allow that long-term funding option. And, and so some of the compromises that came out of that, what, what were those that, you know, as they spent all night talking about you know, reading the phone book or whatever they were doing? <laughs> yes. Um, I think there were some things about, like, weights of vehicles and uh, I'm not sure what all else. What, what were some of those details? Yeah, so one of the biggest issues um, was cutting it from 15 to 12. It had started out as an increase up to, up to 15 cents by going an extra year. Um, they cut off one of the years. And then one of the other things that was thrown in there was they included an exemption to the increase so you wouldn't uh, for heavy vehicles, mm-hmm. and and this is largely aimed at. And I'll be honest with everyone: is is the trucking industry and heavy trucks, yeah. and the fact that they are uh, large users of the, of the system. And at this point, any vehicle over twenty six thousand pounds wouldn't be um, eligible uh, for the refund. Um, from Missouri Farm Bureau's perspective, we're actually going to look at that over the next couple of weeks and see what kind of impact that would have on agriculture, and and then weigh our options as we look into how do we advocate for. Trans- transportation funding. Uh, Like I said, we've always been supporters of transportation funding, but this new wrinkle is something that we'll probably visit with our board. They'll be here in just a couple weeks, but we're going to talk about how does this impact our members and what do we need to do on that specific provision. Mm -hmm. But it has, that was part of the compromise to make sure that we were, but, but it really is aiming at those heavy vehicles. And some people may say, well, agriculture doesn't, well, some agriculturalists use a lot of heavy vehicles when they're moving grain um, and or livestock. So I do think it is something that we'll have to look at as an organization, but those were probably the two biggest measures that were included in that compromise to allow it to get to a vote in the and, Senate. And the, the biggest question mark on this, aside from, you know, what what the House wants to do, what House leadership wants to do is mm-hmm. um, how, how does Missouri law affect this as far as whether or not it needs to go to a vote of the people? Yeah. So um, the, the prevailing assumption at this point is because it is refundable, 
that it doesn't have to go to a vote of the people, and that that's where we're, they're standing on. We all know about uh, the Farmerhand Amendments and Hancock Amendments, which limit the amount to which the legislature can increase any taxes. Now, it's largely been held that they could do incremental increases. I think in the past, based on the state budget, they had said you could do two cents a year. Um, but this is a different measure where it's doing multiple years through a bill. So we'll see how that breaks out. But it's largely held that because it's refundable, that this is kind of an optional issue and not raising taxes. And so it's something that they can look at. So another thing that I know came up in that debate yeah. that is really um, controversial for sure, yeah. especially among our membership, is the uh, and this comes up every time we talk about transportation funding is mm-hmm. some senators, especially from suburban and urban districts, don't understand why we're taking care of so many rural roads with state yes. tax dollars. Um, what do you think is going to happen with that? And, you know, what, what were people threatening, I guess? Yes, absolutely. Well, that's a good point. And uh, as always, when we start talking about transportation funding, it becomes a, well, why do we have all these lettered routes and numbered routes across the state that we're taking care of um, that other states don't? Because there's a lot of talk when you talk about transportation funding of how large our transportation system is. Well, one thing is you can either increase funding for it or you can decrease the size of the system. Mm-hmm. This is actually an issue that Missouri Farm Bureau supported years and years ago, um, talking about getting Missouri out of the mud. And that's part of the way we increased funding for transportation and helped our local roads systems. It was by giving them to the state and letting the state take care of the whole system with a system-wide view rather than a local view. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it really was. It's something that we've talked about for a long time. And and as it always does, it came up again of, well, we'll just give those roads back to the counties. Well, unfortunately, kind of like the property tax situation we were talking about earlier, where we have a funding regime that's been in place for so long, the counties would then just have to go and tax people to take care of those roads and bridges. So it's really a Peter or Paul situation where you're just taking from one pot and adding to another and you're putting a major burden on the counties. I know in the years past when this has come up, I've actually visited with several and counties that said, absolutely not. We don't have the funds to take care of those roads. And I do think it's really unfair. Some of the folks that advocate for that will refer to some of the states that are west of us. Now, I've been in western Kansas, and if if you're in rural western Kansas, 75, 80% of the roads are gravel slash dirt roads. Well, they don't have the population in those areas that we do even in our in our rural areas aren't as rural as those are. And if ours had to go back to dirt, that would be a complete underservice to rural Missouri. As we try to emphasize rural economic development and making sure we have strong rural economies, we can't go backwards in poorer roads and bridges. So, And a lot of those states have closed roads. You know, if a bridge goes out, they just don't replace it because they have a mile every, they have a road every mile, and you could just go to the next one to get around that obstacle. And yeah. that's just not, that's not the way our state has been funded and found for a long time. So yeah. not that's the way, a, not the direction we want to go. That's sure. exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, and then something else that that seemed to lead into some uh, discussions about um, other programs that we've really been advocating getting is extended mm-hmm. um, that have been helping fund things in rural areas, like you mentioned, um, with the, some tax credit programs. Uh, what did we say happened there? Yeah, so this is something we've been talking about probably every time I've been on here, which are the MASBDA, the Department of Agriculture, Small Business Development Authority, um, where they do some some economic development programs, especially focusing on rural areas. There is one that focuses on wood energy products and, and helping our wood, our forestry uh 
our forestry friends. And then there's another one that talks about meat processing, which has helped meat processing across the state of Missouri, as well as others that are new gen cooperatives, which help us add the value-added side of agriculture. Now, those are all MASBDA programs, and, and those programs were set to expire at the end of this year. Uh, this last week, just before um, just before they left for spring break, the House actually uh, finally passed the MASBDA tax credit programs as one bill, where they combined those together and then passed that as one package. And that will proceed now to the Senate. Over in the Senate, we've actually seen that bill voted from committee. So it's almost all the way through there. So we've seen great progress on both sides. And we do expect that to get addressed because it is it is very important that we continue these programs. They've been dramatically successful in making sure that we have options in local areas. You know, when we talk about meat processing, I love to talk about that one because, you know, it was just a little while ago, probably about 10 months where we were all wondering where our food comes from and wanting more local options. And this is the kind of programs that make sure we have those. When you talk about the new gen cooperatives, a lot of those are how we have an ethanol industry in the state of Missouri and how we have other value added agricultural across the state. And we want to continue. Maybe ethanol is not the new thing, but maybe something else is the next big thing and be able to use those options to really fund the next level of value added in the state of Missouri. You'll remember that we've been working with the University of Missouri and the Department of Ag and the governor's office on those value added studies over right. the years. And how do we take Missouri from an $88 billion industry to a $100 billion industry in the state? And the way we do is by keeping more of that value here in the state. And those products are never those are never free or cheap. It, it takes money to do that. Um, and these uh, these MASBDA programs are how we've been able to do that in the past. So it's really encouraging um, to see some good movement on those. So, so. so what was it that led to those being picked up right before the break? You know, why did that end up finally seeing some traction there? Yeah, I do think it, it's, it's, that, it's that pressure of we want to see movement and we want to make sure everybody wants their bills to be halfway through. And people see the value in what this has done. It's been an overwhelmingly um, positive um, conversation when we talked to legislators about this. I was really excited. Uh, we had a farmer whose family owned some agriculture operations as well as meat processing um, in West in the eastern part of central Missouri here. Um, and he told a great story of how they've taken advantage of those programs to increase processing in their state. They've brought jobs, they've brought economic development, and they've brought local options for both both consumers and producers. And so it's been really great for them um, and what they've done there. So excited to see movement. And, and really, I think it's just that pressure point of we're getting close to halfway and we want these are the things we definitely have to get done. Mm-hmm. So I think if you see something that's halfway done at this point, there's a good good chance it'll be finally dressed before the end of the year. Yeah. So what else happened last week? We yeah. Saw? So the House, the, the Senate um, had two long nights or two or three long nights, but the House had one long night of its own where um, before the spring break break, um, they took up issues related to elections. And they, t- they took up and debated several bills related to how do we function in elections. There were some general election bills about how do we vote and addressing early voting and voter security, things like voter ID that Farm Bureau does care about and making sure that every vote counts, but every vote that that is voted should count. Mm-hmm. Um, and really about election integrity. You know, we can't talk about this without just being straight honest about it, which is that 
a lot of these issues arose from some questions or concerns with the previous presidential election. Now, Missouri didn't see those issues, but we want to make sure that we don't. And and that's what a lot of those bills were talking about, was just kind of general election reform. How do we do our vote counting and making sure those are secure? But those aren't easy conversations, so they went late into the night. The other thing that was included in that was something that's been on our mind for some time, which was talking about our initiative petition process. Um, And so not to be left out, that was a that was uh, a a deep part of the conversation and measuring is our Constitution too easy to be changed? You know, when you take up an initiative, when you take up a petition, it can be either statutorial or uh, constitutional. And I think that um, maybe some of these changes would push people towards changing statute rather than Constitution. Um, But there was a bill passed by the House that would say you had to gather signatures um, equal to 10 percent of voters in all congressional districts, which Missouri Farm Bureau has policy supporting gathering signatures in all congressional districts. And then this bill actually would uh, um, agree with another one of our policies that said it should um, increase the voter threshold for passing a constitutional amendment. Um, I think it was at 66 percent. I think Mm if this debate continues, that number will be the hottest part of the conversation. Um, And I don't think anyone wants to make the Constitution unattainable. There are times um, when it should be able to be changed. But you and I both know that the idea of a constitution is usually a guiding document. It shouldn't be hundreds of pages long. The Missouri state constitution shouldn't be larger than the U.S. constitution. And and largely the reason it is is because we've seen what would otherwise be statutory changes enshrined in our constitution. Mm -hmm. And as you know, the problem with that is when you enshrine something in the constitution, it becomes nearly impossible to change again. And And, sometimes... it trumps the statutes that you've asked too. So if you... If there was a real problem with the way that something got passed in a constitutional amendment, you couldn't pass a law to undo it because that's yep. not the way it works. You're, you're exactly right. And we've seen that sometimes with yeah. some of these recent constitutional changes. You know, things like the uh, medical marijuana thing, they yeah. put some details into the Constitution that probably would have been better worked out through legislative debate. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that the general issue wasn't fine to get there. But to put it into the Constitution made it very difficult and has made it difficult for them to enact it now. Um, Some of it was too prescriptive and some of it was not prescriptive enough of how should a program be run. But things like that going into the Constitution um, have have sparked this kind of a debate. Um, You know, what we've seen and you know and I, you and I during during the last election talked a lot of times about what we're really seeing through some of this constitutional amendment isn't Missouri citizens coming up with an idea that they think we should put in the Constitution. It's largely nationwide interest and out-of-state interest saying, hey, here's something we're trying in six or eight states. Let's try it in Missouri. What a lot of people don't realize is Missouri is one of the most liberal states as far as allowing people to amend our constitution a lot of st- some states don't allow it at all yeah. and some people only some states only allow um statutory not constitutional changes to go that way and, and constitutional amendments are supposed to be, the, the constitution the whole point of a constitution is supposed to be kind of these are the big things mm-hmm. we all agree on and or the vast majority of people agree on and it shouldn't be it's supposed to protect the minority mm-hmm. as well absolutely and so it shouldn't be something that 50% plus 1 it shouldn't be a 50% pass. 1 plus kind 1 thing that's the whole point of a constitution that's exactly right who might dissent or see a little differently mm-hmm. and it's got to be like really big a big widely held belief to change so yeah it is a little bit 
surprising that it's that easy to change Missouri's constitution. And and that's what we've seen. And I think by seeing the availability to do so, you're you're almost welcoming those out of state interests to come in and say, yeah. here's what we can do here, um, and and tweaks that we can make. And so that that was a large deal. Um, and I think that is one of those where you're seeing, like I said, where you we're at that halfway point, and people wanted to see movement on some of the big ticket issues. Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at some of these big issues, we're talking about taxes, we're talking about transportation funding, how we do our elections and our initiative petitions. Um, These are some of the big ticket things that you see there. One of the others, we're lucky in that eminent domain reform, which is something that we've been interested in. Um, It actually passed the House some weeks ago and now is already in the Senate. We look forward to seeing it um, progress through the Senate in the coming weeks. Uh, But we're lucky that one moved early. But for those people that didn't have their issue move as quickly as we did on eminent domain reform, um, this was a hot hot week and we got to see a lot of them addressed. You know, another one that we've been talking a lot about is um, having a biodiesel standard Mm -hmm. to support rural Missouri, our ag economies, our rural economies to bring jobs to rural Missouri and to be more fuel independent um, to help set a biodiesel standard in the state. That bill was actually perfected in the House. Now, they didn't take the final vote on it, but it was very encouraging that the bill was protected or perfected on the House floor um, and now just needs one final vote before it will proceed to the Senate. And so... I do think that's that's a sign of some great progress there. In the Senate side, the same legislation is sitting um, ready to be debated on the Senate floor. I know um, our friends in the Capitol have been working on that very hard to try to find a bill um, that works both for um, the producers of biodiesel and the consumers of it. And I think we're really close to finding a bill that works for everybody um, that will help uh, help with a clean burning fuel that's produced right here in the state of Missouri um, and help protect our rural economies as well. I think there's some great opportunities there, and I think we're really close to having a bill that everybody can agree to on that one. So excited to see that, especially as we gear up for the second half of session. Um, We've got a lot going on. Um, I was actually working this morning kind of looking at a breakdown of where issues were. Uh, The list gets very long very quickly, um, but it's exciting to see a lot of movement on issues that we're interested in. Yeah, well, and I know there's no shortage of those, but <laughs> no, for uh, sure. What What do you think are going to be the the biggest fights in the second half as we get close to the actual finish line? Yeah, I think. Um if I look into my crystal ball, which you know usually is always wrong, I'll just I'll just be honest with you on that. Is I do think the transportation conversation is probably and. We haven't talked about it a lot here, but education reform. Yeah, yeah. Education reform has been a huge topic in both the House and the Senate. Mm-hmm. Now, the House has passed a bill to allow for education savings accounts, and they passed a bill talking about open enrollment. Mm-hmm. In the Senate side, there is what I would call an omnibus education reform bill um, that was kind of thrown out there as a, hey, here's a starting point, and let's debate it down to something that people could agree to. So I think what we'll probably see is a transportation versus education reform, and those two hot topics will probably take a lot of the attention during session. Now, what we all hope happens is we're able to work through some of these other critical issues while those conversations are going on. But I do think you'll see those two issues probably shape the conversations because both sides want to see uh, see those issues addressed uh, as far as both the House and the Senate, I should say. Yeah. And so one other issue that I was just thinking about that we really haven't touched on at all. Yeah. Um, has been sort of flying under the radar is redistricting. Yes. We're going to yes. have to do that at some point. But I think, aren't we still waiting on the Census Bureau to release numbers? I think those numbers may be due 
shortly back to the states. Uh, I do know I can tell you just from conversations in the Capitol that those conversations are already beginning. Yeah. Um, we know who's going to lead up those committees. Now, I wouldn't quote it right here because I don't have the information in front of me, but we do know who's going to work on those committees to work on those issues. But I will tell you, um, behind the scenes, the conversation of redistricting is already beginning. You know, we're going to have a new bipartisan process to allow that. Um, But there's always a great interest in how those district lines are drawn. And that conversation has already started. Um, Everybody is interested in, and it's, it's, you know, it's rightfully so because it's vitally important. Um, it won't be long. Missouri Farm Bureau will have a conversation about elections and what do we see coming for 2022. And as you look at preparing for that, um, it's all kind of a guess until you see the way the right. districts are going to be drawn. It could be drastically different before well, we actually see the election. And also, there are, there's so much speculation now in the in the week that in the week since not even a week since Senator Blunt announced he was retiring. Oh of all the different people who are, you know, talking to their friends and praying with their family about what their next steps are of how to serve Missouri best. You know, there's so many different people who are taking a look at it. Yeah. Should many of them jump into it, um, into the race, that could open up some uh, some races down ballot or, you know, to backfill their mm-hmm. positions. Yeah. Some of them are currently in. I mean, that could really affect this year's legislative session before we get to to May even. Yeah, um, you're absolutely right. It'll just kind of remain to be seen who, who really positions out. And I will think, I, I do think you're absolutely right. And I think one of the things you'll see is it'll probably go one of two ways. Either this thing will go quiet for a few weeks or months here, and then there'll be a flurry, another flurry of activity. But as you know, if anybody watched the news, there was a pretty good flurry of activity right after the announcement. That oh, flurry yeah. will either continue or die down and then jump right up after session, because you're absolutely right. Most of those rumored names that we're hearing will either have to give up a position or not be able to run, which will create a cascading effect if they truly jump into the the, the U.S. Senate race, which mm-hmm. is sure to be a hotly contested issue. And that makes uh, everybody want to make a name for themselves. Absolutely. And be the best positioned, not to mention all, the districts are all being redrawn, mm-hmm. and they're all worried about getting the best district that they might be able to get for their next thing that they think they're going to run for. Down the road, so. there may be some of that. You yeah. know, in a year where we kind of thought we were going to have a U.S. Senate race and a state auditor race, which, uh, with all due respect to the state auditor race, sometimes is more exciting than others, yes. um, but typically not a real exciting cycle. Not the headline, yeah. Getter usually, it just isn't. And now it looks like we may have quite the interesting cycle uh, yeah. come twenty twenty two. And you're right. Um, as much as when I have my lobby hat on, I don't like to think about those things. They may have an impact on how we shape the, the second half of this session. Um, but I do think, and the other thing we haven't talked about here is um, COVID liability reform. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is uh, liability reform is something Farm Bureau policy has supported for some time. And, and we probably will see that bill passed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is... Um, it has been passed by the Senate, will be over into the House. And so I think there will be some trading going back and forth of how important the two chambers think individual issues are, and we will start to see those pressure points start to emerge. But don't be surprised if those behind-the-scene conversations, in my opinion, will probably circle around education reform and transportation reform, and those election issues might be just hiding a little further behind yeah. the scenes. But you're absolutely exactly. right. And, yeah. and as we, you and I both know, and many of our listeners know too, um, it, it in some ways, it's great to have so many big issues on the plate as you get towards the end of session because there's there's a lot of horses to be traded. Yep. There's a lot of chips on the table that um, could be used for one thing or the other to get your 
uh, your issues that you really care about across the, the finish line. Problem is, then sometimes you're the one that gets used, and you know. Gets I don't like to think about it that no, way, but it's no. true. And so, uh, in, in my there's mind, there's a, a of going on. In my mind, there's a path for all of these things. Of course, <laughs> hopefully, ours is ours are the ones that really get uh, get across the finish line, and, and some of the others have to come back next year. You're right, but unfortunately, um, and you're, you're exactly right. That's why it is exciting to be well positioned at this point. Mm-hmm. The chances of us getting everything that we're looking for are slim. But it is exciting that the, we have a legislature here, and hopefully we get to have a full session, unlike last year, uh, where we get to address these things. And I do think, and that's one of the things we talked about with the shutdown from last year, I think there's a little bit of a backlog of issues where some of these may, be, may have been addressed given a full session last year. And, and this year, um, there's kind of a thirst to go ahead and finish some things yeah. we may have been able to get done last yeah, we've year. we've really got about a year and a half worth yeah. of legislating to do here. Yeah. And we, uh, saw that, that. we saw that a few years ago where we had a legislative session where not a lot of things were completed, the next year they passed twice as many bills as normal. And I think it's kind of just a normal ebb and flow. And, and I think that's why there's a little bit of that urgency this year. Yeah. All right. Well, BJ Tanksley, thank you for joining us again and uh, look forward to seeing how the second half plays out. Yeah, I'm excited. It was uh, good to be in the office today and not have to have a suit and tie on. Uh, we'll get back to work over in the Capitol, but for now, it's great to be here. Um, one thing I do want to point out for Missouri Farm Bureau members that are interested in coming back to the Capitol, as things seem to be loosening up a little bit, um, we are kind of doing a soft reopening of our Capital Connection program. For those of you listening, uh, get in touch with your regional coordinator. If you want to come up here and have a personal impact, we love having our members come to the Capitol and excited about being able to restart that. As you've heard here today, we've got a lot of big issues that we're talking about, um, and we're excited to invite members back to the Capitol to take part in those issues. Yeah, we could really use your help to get these things <laughs> across the finish line. Yeah, absolutely. And just excited to be able to do that. You know, um, as we look around the Capitol, it has been a different place, um, but things are starting to look better as far as numbers of counts and being able to do things safely. I think that's the biggest thing I want to stress is we didn't do that because we chose not to. It was because we wanted to make sure we were being safe for our members and everyone around. And and so now I think we're in a place where we can hopefully safely redo that. And we're excited about having everybody back. Sounds great. Yep. All right. Thanks again, BJ. Thank Talk you. To you soon.